Eve service, and just a reminder to those of you that might not have been here um, last week, uh, we ran into problems with the Regal, and so the, Chris, uh, the actual Christmas Eve service that we planned on having um, on the evening of the 24th, we can't have anymore, and so this is kind of a blend of our Christmas Eve service and a Sunday morning, so it's kind of fun. Uh, and just looking forward to the next couple weeks, next Sunday, Al Holbert, uh, Vice Principal at Summit High, uh, and a good friend is going to be coming and um, giving the message. And then on the 6th of January, Rick McKinley, the lead pastor at Imago Day in Portland, uh, he's also an author, and a bunch of us read, I think about a year ago, his book, This Beautiful Mess. And so if you read that, that's uh, Rick McKinley. He'll be speaking on the 6th, and so that's a Sunday you don't want to miss. So uh, just looking ahead to those. And let's open in a word of prayer if we can. Father, uh, we do just want to slow down enough to realize that um, Christmas will come and go and will pass um, without us ever taking stock of our life, without ever, without ever looking to you, listening to you, and trying to discern what you would want to say to us in this season where we try and just analyze life and, and celebrate life and look towards your son and what he did for us. And, and just pray that you would help us slow down enough over the next couple days that we wouldn't wake up on the morning of the 26th and feel like uh, we've missed our chance to sit down and reflect and we have to wait a whole other year. And so I just pray for meaningful times with family. I pray for meaningful <coughs> traditions with families. And just that you would bless this season and that we would truly be able to glorify you with it. And I pray that in Christ's name. Uh, this morning, just three things that we want to get across. And so we'll dive right in, and the first one is just this. Um, this Christmas season, we want to give a little. Uh, and I'll just let you in on the next two. Uh, we want to love a little, and we want to laugh a little. Uh, but we want to give a little, and it's been amazing as I've sat back and just kind of analyzed Christmas, and it's all about gift giving. And I started thinking, you know, is that really what it should be about, gift giving? And I kind of came up with the answer, yes, <laughs> it should be about gift giving, because Really, when we think about Jesus coming, sent from God, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, um, that when we think about that, that's the greatest gift of all. And what I mean by that is, is simply this, in giving Jesus, God gave himself to us. Because it's a topic we don't talk about a lot, but um, as people, we're a little bit messed up and we need a lot of help, and... What Jesus came to do, his primary mission, Jesus was like an arrow. I mean, there's a lot of things that happened, but there was one driving focus in his life, and that was that he would be able to die for the forgiveness of our sins. Because unless those sins were forgiven, we would forever be separated from God. And Jesus came focused on dying for those sins that we could be brought back together with God. And so when God sent him, God, in essence, was giving us himself. We're far from God, and God said, I'm going to take care of that, and what I'm going to give you is myself. Now, I've talked about it a lot before, but it's a fascinating thing to me when we really try to get the idea of what it is like to be God. Um, because the, the best thing that God can give in the whole universe is himself. And the reason that is, is 
not because God's an egomaniac, but because God really is, in all the universe, the greatest object. For God to give us something other than himself, he would be taking something of lesser value, something other than himself, and he would be offering that to us and saying that it's of more value than him. And that's idolatry. That's taking something of lesser value and making it seem as if it's greater than God. And, and if you do that, you take something of lesser value and make it above God, you profane the name of God. Profane means you take something that is great and make it less. And so for God to take and give us something other than himself, he's making a lesser object more valuable, and he's making the more valuable object lesser, and he's getting it all out of whack. And God isn't going to do that. He cares about us enough to give us the best. And so the best is himself. And so when he gave Jesus, he gave us himself and put us back into that relationship. And there is nothing else that is greater. And I think that we get caught up in this idea of, of taking things for granted. I remember growing up, um, I don't know, maybe your dad was like that too, but um, the I put a roof over your head comment. Did you ever get that growing up? You know, be complaining about something while, you know, who puts a roof over your head? And as a kid, that doesn't mean a lot. You're like, well, what about the bike, you know? Um, what, I, you know I just went to Uganda a couple weeks ago. And so the whole roof over your head thing means a lot now. It means a whole lot. It's, it's the most important thing. It's more important than the bike. The bike's shinier. Sometimes we think the bike's more important, we get super excited about the bike, but at the end of the day, the most valuable thing that a parent can give a child is a home. And I think we do that with God sometimes. We look at the bikes, and God, give me this, and God, give me that, and if you really loved me, it would be, um, it'd be a brand new BMX bike. I once got a bike, I once asked for a bike. This is a Toronto a traumatic event in my, my childhood. Um, I asked for a BMX bike, and I had the bananas. I had a banana seat bike. You know what I'm talking about, banana seat bike, and I had the handlebars and all that. And I had asked and asked for this BMX kind of cool bike because that was back in the, I think the 80s when that was like really big. And I was super excited, and I came down for Christmas, and you want to know what I had? I didn't have the BMX bike. I had BMX handlebars for Christmas that my parents put on my banana seat bike. And it was really disappointing, you know. Um, and I needed to get that out. Um, but, but the idea is that we get caught up with this bike and, and all this other stuff, and we're going to be mad at God if, if he doesn't give us this thing. And the whole time, God has given us the greatest thing that he could possibly give us. God has already outgiven you this Christmas. Doesn't matter what you get or what you give, God has already taken the cake. He's already won the prize. He has given the greatest gift. And it's not only this Christmas, it's all the time. And we make this Christmas valuable if we actually stop and realize that, that something amazing has happened in this universe. That the guilt you feel, the mess you feel, the I don't measure up that you feel, all of these things, God has taken care of that so that you can be firmly established in a relationship with him. Period. And we take stock this Christmas and we set ourselves up hopefully for the rest of the year. And we give because he first gave to us. And so we're able to give a little this Christmas because God has given so much. And it also flows into 
the next thought, just in Luke, if you, if you look at chapter 7 in the book of Luke, chapter 7 in the book of Luke, we see Jesus sitting um, with Simon the Pharisee. And a quote-unquote sinful woman comes in, and she anoints Jesus. Um, and she wipes his feet with her tears. I mean, it's kind of an amazing sight. So Jesus is sitting here, and he's getting kind of grilled by this Pharisee. What do I think of Jesus? What do I make of him? And he's kind of got his arms crossed, and he's a little bit puffed up. He's an important person. And this woman just barges in. It's not her house. She just knows that Jesus is in there. Barges into the house, is crying, falls at his feet, okay? And this is what she does. And they look at Jesus, and they're kind of thinking, man, um, doesn't he know that this is a sinner? And uh, wouldn't that be a wild feeling, being with Jesus and having people look at you and at Jesus and going, man, does Jesus know who that guy is or who that gal is? You know, wouldn't that be a wild feeling? Like, what do you make of that, you know? And Jesus looks at Simon. He says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Those are um, not good words to hear from somebody in authority. Something to tell you. And Jesus uses a parable and says this, Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One, one owed him 500 denarii and the other owed him 50. And neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. And Jesus said, You have judged correctly. And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. And so the whole idea is God sets up everything good, I think, by being the first mover. Uh, there's in philosophy, all the way back from Aristotle, there's always this concept of the unmoved mover. In every chain of, of cause effect, there's a cause and then there's effect, and there's a chain of billiard balls throughout the universe. Where does something start where there's nothing that precedes it? And God, in, in some sense, the philosophers would always say God is the unmoved mover, the, the beginning cause that gets it all going. And if we look at ourselves and we want to know where does love come from, where does our ability to be good come from, where does our ability to give come from, that God really is the unmoved mover. He's the first cause in all of that. God has given us the best thing in the world. He's given us himself. And because of that, we can give a little and we can also love a little. I mean, it's amazing in, in Leviticus chapter 25, it talks all about the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee, once every 50 years, so once every generation, or, or everyone's lifetime, about once a lifetime, all debts would be canceled. And property, homes and land would go back to the original owners. Okay? I mean, can you imagine that? That's a crazy thing, every 50 years. It's a year of Jubilee that, wow. Like, man, life's been tough, but look, it's all kind of coming back to me, and I get to hit the, the giant reset button in life. And everybody was super stoked, except for the guy that probably had bought up all the land. You know, I had to give it back. 
Um, but everybody's super excited. It's this amazing time. Now, we don't have that in um, America. We don't have the, the year of Jubilee. Um, but we've got Christmas. And we get it every year. <laughs> Not once every 50. And I think Christmas, to me, more than anything else, is that one time where we stop and we kind of hit the reset button and we try and either we want to or it's easy to or we work really hard at it to come and actually get super excited about life and to just pull it all together again and start over. To me, there's no other time during the year like that. It's kind of that jubilee moment. And if you think about it, think of every Christmas movie you've ever seen. I've got a clip from one just to kind of set the scene a little bit. But every Christmas movie you've ever seen kind of drives to the same conclusion point. And here's probably one of the most famous ones of all. Christmas movie, the, the recent ones where it's like all, you know, have you noticed this the last couple of years, all the Christmas movies are, this guy's got more lights on his house than this guy, and they're like battling back and forth between who's Mr. Christmas, that kind of a, a thing. But even in the end, they come together, it's like one big happy family. Every Christmas movie comes to that point at the end where it brings it all together, and the relationships are, are solid, and there's unity, and there's love, and there's happiness, and why? Why unity? Why relationship? Why love? <laughs> I mean, think about it. Christmas is that one time of the year. It's the jubilee moment. It's where we're going to bring it all back to the basics. And what are the basics? The basics is unity and it's love and it's relationship. And we all know that just deep down inside. There's just no getting away from it. That If we're going to bring it all back to this unifying point, it's going to be love. It's going to be relationship. It's going to be unity. And so this Christmas, we want to give a little because God has given to us. We also want to love a little. And what does love mean? It's, I think we all head into Christmas thinking, yeah, it's like the movies. I want to love and I want unity and I want to be happy. And guess what? It's not always that easy. It's not always that easy. Love in America is something that people have to earn. They have to earn it. If they don't earn it, they don't deserve it. But it's just all there is to it, that we love when it's the just thing to do, not when it's the unjust thing to do. If somebody hasn't acted in such a way, behaved in such a way, that they deserve love, we're not going to give them love. And that's the interesting thing. So if you, if you turn to Matthew, the end of chapter 5, we learn just a little bit about love. And basically what I want us to see about love is love initiates. And it's not based on the justice clause. It's based on grace. So in Matthew chapter 5, we read this. <coughs> Jesus says, You've heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil 
and the good, and He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? And then he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. People that don't know God love the people that, that love them, that have earned it and deserve it, that have kind of bought or purchased your love back to them. Okay? The, the bad people, even Hitler, loved the people that earned or deserved his love, that, that pampered him, that treated him a certain way. It wasn't anything noble in his character. It was just basic human life. And God is saying, and Jesus is saying, that is not where you should be at the bare minimum, loving those that love you. And you should raise up to the level of God, remember, because God loved us. He was the unmoved mover. He started a chain of action. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. It wasn't necessarily just. It was God's grace beginning something good. And God's saying, if you really get that, then you can love like me. You can be perfect like me, which is you can look at someone that doesn't earn it, that doesn't deserve it, and it's not even just almost that you would love them, and you love them anyways. You just begin it. You're the unmoved mover in maybe your family, and you do it out of grace. And so it's not always like the movies. We get together with a lot of family, and uh, when you get all family together, there's some quirky people. Uh, and some difficult relatives and in-laws and things like that. And I think we go into it and saying, if they behave a certain way this Christmas, I'll be nice to them. If they, do, if they don't do like last Christmas, if they actually act mature this Christmas or treat me right this Christmas, I'll love them. And I think what we want to learn this morning is just this, that we need to be like God. Because, and we can be like God because He's first loved us. We can carry that chain on through. That we can begin a movement of grace and we can love others. In this jubilee moment, we can birth something good. So, because of God, we want to give a little, we want to love a little, and then we want to laugh a little. And we don't think a lot about laughter. Um, I just want to read Psalm 126 and it says this, Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. And then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them, the Israelites. That the idea of laughter was a way, being able to laugh and rejoice was a way that people are going to know that you are blessed, these Israelite people. And laughter is a good thing, and it shows the blessing of God. In Proverbs, um, if we flip over, Proverbs 15, I don't know if I marked it. That's all right. um, Proverbs chapter 15, it talks about joy and says... Um, It says, a happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. And so laughter is good. Smiles are good. A happy heart makes the face cheerful. Knowing these times of blessing is a good thing. And, and I think that we forget that sometimes. I remember when I was down in California, we had a Christmas where we went as elders to the hospital and visited um, sick people. 
And uh, two of the other pastors went as a pair to visit this woman who was in the hospital, and her husband was there, and he wasn't a believer. And the one guy, you've just got to understand the background on this guy, um, Dan. Dan was awkward, uh, and he was the guy that, if he was sick and had to go to the hospital, he'd get a ticket on the way to the hospital, and then he'd get in a car accident on the way to the hospital, and then he'd slip on ice, like, going into the emergency room. I mean, the guy was just a, a walking disaster. It was absolutely hilarious and quirky and everything else. And so they're going to visit this woman, and Dan's supposed to kind of take this one, and, and Dan says to Robert, what should I do? And Robert says, well, why don't you read um, this psalm? It's a great psalm. So Dan gets in there, and Dan misses the psalm by one. And, you know, just got it wrong. Doesn't realize it. And so he says this lady, you know, as they're supposed to start leaving, he says, can I just read you a psalm? And she says, sure. And her husband's kind of sitting back there with his arms crossed, looking a little bit skeptical at the whole thing. And, and he misses the psalm by one and starts reading about how our days are like a few, and then we moan and go to the grave, and then God's anger burns on us, and he grinds us into dust. And, and, uh, and, and, and Dan, just because of his personality, doesn't know how to salvage it. He's, he just keeps reading and reading this, like one of those, one of those psalms, depressing psalms, you know? Uh, it has to do with the sick, and our life just ebbing away to the grave. And, and he doesn't know how to stop. And he just keeps thinking, well, maybe it'll get better. And he just keeps reading. And this husband just starts moving around, visibly agitated and stuff like that. And, um, and they came out. And Dan, you know, got back with the pastors. And, oh, this is so horrible. This is so horrible. And all I could do was laugh. You know? And I just laughed. And I laughed. And I still laugh when I think about it. And you know what? Things happen. Um, you might try and copy Evan and Lindsay's. French toast, and it might be a disaster because you're not Evan and Lindsay. Um, it's funny, you know. Half of the the things that your relatives, your in-laws do, if you step back and look at it, like if you make it into a cartoon drawing or something like that, it's just funny. And we need to not get so bent around the axle on some things, and maybe just learn, you know what? Um, let's just take life a little bit lightly and just laugh. And if there's ever a season to laugh some things off. And maybe grease the wheels of the love thing a little bit. This is a season to laugh. I got an email yesterday, which was pretty funny. Uh, email was from an unlikely source in town, kind of an older Christian, and I wouldn't have expected this email, but it was a joke, and it was talking about um, back in the, supposedly actually a true story, but back in the days of temperance. You remember what temperance was, and it was when all the Christian pastors used to preach about the evils of alcohol, and back in the temperance movement. And this pastor is delivering his sermon, he gets to the end, and, and he's just emphatic, and he's, he's really just preaching it. And he says, if I had all the beer in the world, I would go and take and pour it in the river. If I had all the wine in the world, I would take it all and go dump it in the river. And if I had all the whiskey in the world, I would gather it all up, and I would pour it in the river. And then he says, Amen. And goes and sits down, and the worship leader comes up and just starts chuckling and says, Our closing hymn for today is hymn number 355, Let's All Go Gather at the River. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just you can't coordinate everything in life, and when you try and have the perfect Christmas, um, trying to coordinate it all just isn't going isn't gonna to work. And maybe what we just need to do is go into it and say, you know what, I am going to smile 
and I'm going to laugh, and I'm going to love, and I'm going to give, and I'm going to make this a time of relationship. I'm going to make this a time of grace, and I'm excited about this time because it's not something that has to be perfect. It's something that I get to enjoy being with these people that God has put in my life. And I've got the grace to overlook all the little weird idiosyncrasies because God has first loved me. So if you want to just turn um, to Psalm 90, we'll close with this. In Psalm 90, it says this in uh, verse 14. Psalm 90, verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. It's not the presence that we get in life. It's not the things that we get in life. It's not things being perfect that matter. It's that God has given us himself. That God has graced us. That he has taken the initiative to, to reach out to us where we're at and ground us. And because of that, we can now give a little and we can love a little and we can laugh a little. God's unfailing love enables us to sing for joy and be glad all our days. Let's pray. Father, we just, again, would want to commit um, this season to you. That you would be the dominant subject of our thoughts. That we would experience and take joy in the fact that you have given us the greatest gift, that we wouldn't get distracted by bikes and shiny things and stuff, but that we would realize that you have brought us into your family and you have given us a relationship with yourself. You have established us, and there's nothing that can be greater than that. And we thank you for that. Father, we praise you for that. And in Christ's name we pray. Um, real quick, the team is going to sing in just a second, but one announcement before uh, you guys leave is um, we're looking for more ushers, and so if, uh, if that's a ministry you'd like to help out with, and then also children's workers as we move to Summit High, um, need some more children's workers. And so on your way out, there's buckets. If you've got that connecting card in your bulletin, we'd sure love it if you could just put down usher ministry or children's ministries. And let us know um, that you'd be able to help us out. So.